0: All right, Parshas Yisro. Well, besides being uh, very important because it's my Bar Mitzvah Parsha, uh, it's a short Parsha, one of the shortest parshios, but it is, uh, in a certain sense, the most important Parsha. Uh, It has the revelation of Mount Sinai. Most, uh, in many, many, uh, probably in every aspect, the most important event in world history. Uh, changed the world for uh, everyone. It's the considered the marriage of the Jewish people to God. Uh, it's when Hashem, after approximately 2,500 years of existence, decided that Hashem would no longer leave it up to us to figure out what we had to do. That was the original plan, the Talmud says in the, in Zarah that uh, originally the plan was that people could use their own moral compass and study the world, study current events, and figure out what God wanted. It didn't really work. Uh, Abraham was the only person in history who the Talmud says was able to do that. And once he was the only one who was able to do it, at that point, Hashem decided... Well, we're no longer going to leave this up to trial and error; too risky, and whatever that means. Hashem obviously knew that the whole time. And then he, at that point, he decided there's going to be a Jewish people, and uh, the Jewish people would then uh, went on on a trajectory of a few hundred years, um, four hundred years, really, to be precise. And um, we got the uh, we got the Torah, but there really is a tremendous amount of this portion that gets overlooked. And um, so I'm actually not going to focus too much on that, because we tend to talk about that at Shavuos' time or other times of the year. But there's a lot of uh, beautiful ideas in the Parsha, which uh, you, just, you, don't, you don't usually have time to. And if we have more time, we'll, then, we'll, then we'll talk more about the Revelation and Mount Sinai. So the name of the Parsha is Yisro. Yisro, Jethro, was Moshe's father-in-law. The only Parsha in the Torah named after uh, a great leader's father-in-law. And he was a convert. And uh, there's discussion about why this you know he, he, he gotta be gotta be a pretty good story, given that there's not too many Torah portions. You're gonna have a Torah portion named after you. So we're gonna learn a little bit about the episode, the all oh, the short episode that the Torah decides to share with us about um, uh, the Moshe's father-in-law and Moshe, and a lot to learn from that story. A lot to learn about family relations, community relations, fa- teacher-student relations. So here goes. It says in verse chapter eighteen, verse six. Says, uh, so Yisro says, "I, your father-in-law, Jethro, have come to you with your wife and her two sons with her." a lot of words there that uh, the Torah is not going to waste words. So why is the Torah telling us that he's giving all production? He's here, right? So clearly he's here, and you see the wife, you see the kids. So why this whole production, I'm here, and I'm here with the wife and kids? So Rashi, Rashi asked this question. Rashi doesn't ask questions. The way Rashi asks questions is Rashi comments. And the way you study properly Rashi uh, this is just one of the, a simple uh, uh, hack uh, as to how ha- to learn Torah, you know, never just cruise through anything. If Rashi comments, that means there was a question. In fact, I think there's actually a book, that's, it's a great English book, it's called What's Bothering Rashi? And it, it goes through explaining when Rashi says something, what the question was. So, Rashi was, is bothered by this question, and he brings down the machilta. The machilta were the Agadic teachings of people from the Tanakh period, which is basically um, the first few hundred years of, um, of the Common Era. So the first few hundred years, basically after the beginning of the base of Mikdash, so there was the Mishnah that was written down, and there was the Mechilta. No. The Mechilta is the same time period as the Gemara. Sorry, confused. Just a few hundred years after that. So the Chota says that Yisro was, was a very interesting character. Yisro was a chief world-class philosopher. He studied every religion of the time, all the pagan religions and everything there was under the sun. He tried it. He tried it. And he kept trying them and leaving them. And the reason why he kept trying and leaving them because he kept finding that this religion would focus on interactions between man and man. And this religion would focus on between man and God, between man and self, between man and celestials and all of that. But there was no religion that he found that was the hybrid that created a framework where one could excel and polish all different kinds of relationships until he found Judaism. At that time, obviously, it wasn't in the form that it was now, but the concept that we have of Judaism, the Jewish God, the Jewish belief, the the Jewish people. And that was what he was telling Moshe. He said, Moshe, I've come to you. I've left my people, and I've come here with who? With your wife. And your two sons, and he's, he's not just being a protective father-in-law and grandfather. He's saying, he's reminding Moshe, Moshe, remember, you are the spiritual light to the world. Never forget about that the hallmark of the Judaism that you profess is that it's not just about being in the clouds, about connecting to God, but part of that relationship is um, family and, and other people. So that's a beautiful message that uh, Israel was sharing about what he saw in Judaism that was unique. Not that other religions don't have things in them that could perhaps uh, smell of that, but the beautiful balance that one can have and one lives uh, a life, which God himself is giving us instructions how, how to do it, um, it's, uh, it's the way to go. Okay. That's what Yisro said after having tried everything. Continue along. and this. So what basically what happened was is Yisroh comes, he shows up, and right away he makes himself nice and comfortable. And he sees you have millions of Jews. They had just gotten the Torah. Now, according to most opinions, the Torah is out of order uh, with, this, with the method to the madness. So the, the Jews had gotten the Torah. They got tons of questions. Jews have always had questions. But there was only one source. Can you imagine every Jew in the world would go to one rabbi to answer their questions or one rabbi to get her advice? Everyone was seeking Moshe's advice. And Moshe saw Moshe was worn thin. And he saw the Jewish people were not, was not efficient. They were waiting and waiting, waiting and waiting and waiting. And it just Everything about it. He's like, this is not the way to go. you got to make a judicial system. And in fact, like many um, uh, things that are, are productive in our societies, their origin is in the Torah. And, this, and the judicial system is one of them. He basically made for, you know, community, family courts and civil courts, the local courts and the state courts. And, and he made it that that was, uh, you know, a person had a simple question. They went to the lower court and things. And if something needed to go all the way to the top, he, and, he, and he told Moshe how to train judges and what the criteria should be, a whole system. And, and Moshe and Yisr kind of had it out. There's a whole dialogue. It's fascinating. You look at the commentaries what the dialogue was. You think Moshe couldn't have thought of that? <laughs> Moshe's a brilliant man. And, and, but there, 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 was, there was a dialogue. And the basic dialogue was, and this is a dialogue that has, that's been had throughout history and continues to this day. Moshe understood, and Yisro understood as well, and the Jewish people. Everyone knew, everyone got that if you wanted the best, you wanted the connection, and its purest sense to God, and to elevate yourself. What was the most demanding, rigorous way, and 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 ultimately most meaningful existence, is that intense connection that you could only have. Through the way that God had had, had shared via Moshe. Anything less will be less intense. And Moshe said, I love the Jewish people. I love humanity. I love the world. I want the world to, I want to, I want to, I'm willing to put in the work and I wanted the quote unquote, I don't want to take away that opportunity of of such a meaningful, intense existence. And Yisro said, it's, it's just not gonna work. You it can't. He it can't keep the bar so high, and there was this. We constantly we're having this tension in throughout the leaders. You have Hillel and Shammai had this discussion. Reb Shimon, Shimon bar If you go through, there was always. But, but there's a place for both. You need to have Moshe Rabbeinu, you know, you know, always pushing and and encouraging and 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 and. and know setting the bar high in a positive way and, and that balance and we all have to have that internal balance where we demand a lot of ourselves not to be too too weak on ourselves At the same time we have to be nice to ourselves and this is um really what was going on over here and in fact what they did was you know a lot of times it's really hard to know and fortunately in those days they had moshe said you know what i'll do and this is a beautiful thing he wasn't oversensitive he heard the critique, and he said, "You know what? Let's ask God." And God actually agreed to Israel. And for us, you know, unfortunately, we don't uh, have prophets, but you know, we have to be willing to try to go to, either at least to think things through, consider what people have to say, and go to other people, get their input, maybe ask God first for for clarity. But that's something which uh, we always should be open, always open, and uh, to seeing things. That, that might possibly be different than the way that we've been doing till now. So, one of the criteria that Yisro suggests to Moshe in verse 20 he says, You should caution the judges regarding the decrees and the teachings, and you shall make known to them the path in which they should go and the deeds that they should do the path that they should go, and the deeds that they should do. So Rashi again says this is a little wordy, a little ambiguous, a little vague. What are we referring to when we say the path that they should go and the things that they should do? It's a lot of pronouns, right? Your English teacher would like that. A lot, a lot of pronouns, not very helpful information, the things that you should do and the way that you should go. So Rashi um, quotes the Talmud to explain this verse. And he says what it's referring to, when it says, the things that you should do, he's saying that a criteria for these people to be judges is they had to be people of kindness. It's referring to chesed. And the Chavetz Chaim explains that this means if someone is in a position of leadership, specifically a position of dealing with court cases and dealing with people, it's, you can't just be an academic. Leadership is not an academic position, right? Uh, uh, in fact, you know anyone who takes any leadership position knows a a fra- a, 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 a there's a certain amount of knowledge. That a person will need to have to deal with the situation. But I remember when I was in uh, my only full year, I'd say like formal rabbinic training. I've been doing rabbinic trainings ever since. Still keep trying to do it. And I remember I was in this rabbinic. Actual, I was in. A, I was trying to do a ten-year program until Providence hijacked me back. And it was a great program. I, that one year was just incredible. And uh, one of the mentors, which I still have to this day, is. Uh, rabbi burger in baltimore and um i are asked talking to him about being in the rabbinate at the time i was really focused on being a pulpit rabbi and now I'm, my pulpit is i guess zoom um, and he said you know and i was asking him what 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 areas to study you know Kashrut, and shabbat and this and that all kinds of things and he said enough you know what 80% of being a pulpit rabbi is nothing to do with what you know. It's just dealing with people. And he said, yeah, there's 20%. he said, you can study those laws probably pretty quick. And uh, he said, don't even study them now. Wait till you get close to getting a pulpit rabbi job. So never happened. But thank God, uh, in the meantime, I've, I've had a chance to study those those, um, those laws. So we see from the Chavitz Chaim, we see from that a big criteria for the very... A person has to be, who are they? Are they a kind person? Are they a person who is inspiring, you know, no one's inspired, someone can be awed by someone's Torah knowledge, someone's level of spirituality, but then if they see they're not a kind person, it doesn't inspire people to want to be great in other areas. And that's a responsibility, says the, the Chafetz Chaim. And this doesn't just apply to being a judge or a rabbi, it applies to anyone, man, woman, or even child. If you're someone who excels in something, particularly in spirituality, you de- you become a representative for the entirety of it. Never as kids in school, we were you know being in a religious school, we always uh, were were cautioned that we should be very careful how we act because people are unfortunately, it's a way of the world, but it's it's not, it's, it's uh, the it's the f- facts of life. People do judge Judaism by the Jews, and people do judge kids by their parents. People judge people by a lot of things. And, and, and obviously, we're not responsible for people's ridiculous judgment, but for normal, basic uh, human tendencies, we do have a certain amount of responsibility when we re- when we represent something to to put it in the best light um, possible. Okay, so in verse twenty one, he continues with the uh, with the lists of what the uh, proper leader should be. You shall discern from among the entire people. Canvass, look for the best. People of accomplishment, god fearing people, people of truth, people who despise money. You should have, and so I want to focus on that point of despising money. So the Sifri says that Yisro's name, Yisro, comes from the word yeser, addition. It's referring to this fact that there was an additional piece of Torah that was added because of him. But it's interesting because we have a whole section in the Torah here, but the word, the verse that's referenced when it's showing that Yisro added a thing in the Torah is this verse where Yisro gives the—he made his whole critique, the first 10, 15 verses, and now the Torah is giving us Yisro's suggestion— his constructive suggestion, and says Romare Shapiro, the founder of the Dafyomi movement, great scholar pre-World War II, says that that, you know, what it, there's many people who are good at critiquing. I think we're all good at critiquing, right? And that wouldn't have been something worthy enough, uh, even if it was a good critique, for Yeshua to have a whole piece in the Torah recorded in his honor. Says the mechilta, says the the sifri. This verse is where Yisho shows his greatness. He didn't just complain, he didn't just point out, he actually had a real good practical suggestion. And that Romeo Shapiro says, that's greatness. You know, it's easy to to critique, not so easy to critique and then have a suggestion, a productive, caring, practical suggestion. And uh, and the lesson is that uh, if you really, there's nothing to do about it, then uh, most of the time, if not all the time, it's better left unsaid. And this is important for about ourselves, relationships, God, with a situation. Doesn't mean there's not time for empathy or sympathy and all those things. But, there, uh, if something is no real, real uh, nothing going to come from it, uh, you learn from Yisro, and that, that is a, a, uh, the lesson that we learned from the name of the Parsha. It was worth it to name a Parsha in the Torah to teach us this idea. So, fast forward, getting close to the, the encampment, the Jews come, they've traveled 42 days, from the, from Egypt. They're getting ready for the revelation. They don't know what's going to happen exactly. And Moshe, we know the famous medrash, the Hashem went to all the nations of the world, trying to see if Saul wants the Torah. And finally, God goes to the Jewish people. He tells Moshe, ask the Jewish people if they want the Torah and tell them a few things and see if they want it. And we know the Jews' famous reply we don't need details. Na sevanishma. We'll, we'll, we'll sign us up. We'll find out the details later. So, what does Moshe do? Great. Moshe's got good information. What does Moshe do? Verse chapter nineteen, verse eight. The entire people responded together and said, "Everything that God has spoken, we shall do." Famous words. Then the verse ends off, Moses brought back the words of the people to God. Rashi asks, everybody asks, the Mechilta asks, why did Moshe have to go back and tell Hashem the answer? Hashem knew the answer. Of course you know the answer. Hashem hears everything we say and do. You know, Hashem was there. But says the Mechilta, that the Shem was and Moshe was teaching us the Torah was teaching us derech Someone asks you to do something. If someone asks you something to send you whatever it might be. It's derech It's 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 proper conduct, proper manners to get back to someone. They ask you to do something. Get back to them. And the simcha zisul ziv from the Bali Musr from the. Character uh, development commentaries. He says that we learn from here that the concept, which I think myself included, we're it's been with the, in the information age and in communication age, it's becoming harder is responding to people, just getting back to people. Someone asks you to do something, let them know how it went. Someone calls you, someone texts you, someone emails you, someone messages you, whatever it might be. If there's something that the person, you know, kind of was involved with. Um. try to get 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 back to them you know there's so many times and again I get it we all do it I'm not judging anyone but I just because I'm involved with so many people you know it, it's very meaningful and it stands out when you reach out to someone and they actually get back to you it's, it's a little bit unusual today you know I I can reach out to hundreds or thousands of people you know if I, if I had a penny for every not returned text email and call Message that I had, uh, I would be a billionaire, and, and some of it is because we understand that's kind of what society has allowed, and maybe there's a time and place for that, because people are kind of inundated with so much. But to whatever degree we can, it uh, it really it really is Derek eretz. We see that from the Torah. I could tell you how much I appreciate it when sometimes I'll be involved with something and I'll never even know. Uh, sometimes it's just even it's hard, you know. You, it's the unknown, you know. You. You, you, you recommended a program for someone, you recommended a book, you had a suggestion for, you gave someone advice. And how nice it is when someone gets back and says, you know what, you know that advice you gave me, I followed it and it really worked out well. And once in a while, once in a while that happens, I think it's why it's, and, and it feels great. So just try to remember for ourselves, you know, I'm not trying to push this on anybody uh, um, more than myself, but you know, when we get back to people, on uh, it, it, it really is meaningful people appreciate it and don't don't think you're wasting your time it's almost always appreciated when you get back to people or follow give them a follow-up something they have any any connection to um and, and, and at the least it takes away people can be interested about what happened with something certainly if it was connected to them i you know you just don't know and how you know sometimes you email someone and then, like you're going back and forth and then like all of a sudden no response. You know, no idea is the person happy, is the person upset, are they nervous? So, so we learn from here. Haretz, getting, uh, getting back to people. I'm gonna fast forward to the end of the end of the parsha, chapter 20, verse 22. We learn about the Mizbeth, the altar in the, in the in the in the in in the tabernacle. So there's a mitzvah at the end of the parsha that says that the Mizbeach, the altar, was made out of stones, but you weren't allowed to use metal. No metal was supposed to be used in the construction of the Mizbeach. And Rasha brings down the famous idea that because the Mizbeach was a vehicle of peace, it generated peace between mankind and God, so also um so there shouldn't be metal and metal historically and certainly at the time and and until and today metal shortens life knives and 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 the like so therefore that shouldn't go on the stones so the machelta says a kava chomer a logical imperative that if we're showing and this is throughout the torah the torah is showing a sensitivity Towards inanimate objects that have no feelings and don't feel the the respect that we're giving them. So certainly, um, a person says the Mechalta who generates peace between people, between communities, and between man and God, um, is someone who's very deserving of our respect and not to not to do anything that would. That uh, that would and uh, that would uh, that would cause them harm, and it's actually it's it's a, it's a segula. It's a good thing to do that could help you. The same way we see that Hashem doesn't want any metal to come into contact with this peacemaker of an altar. A person wants to watch out for themselves. A person wants to be protected from anything, from COVID, from danger, from financial problems, from health problems. A a a, a fantastic one of the best things a person can do is person be a generator of peace. And peace peace protects. So another mitzvah about making them is bath is that we know if you look at all the pictures them is the altar had a ramp and the reason why it had a ramp says the last verse in the Parsha you shall not ascend my altar on steps. Why step why um, why no steps? so that a person's uh, nakedness will not be uncovered upon it. It's more of a modest way when you're going up a ramp, steps, when a person goes up steps, things get get, get revealed more. Yeah, we're talking about the temple, a very, very high level of, um, of sensitivity. And it's the same idea, that here you have, we're showing respect to a piece of furniture for all intents and purposes. And that's the respect that we're showing, certainly to people, they have to have uh, respect and uh, just respect, basic human dignity, respect that people deserve for just being uh, human human beings. So, just want to take a little, little, a little bit of uh, time to just study. this just, just to, just goes without saying. Revelation of Mount Sinai is the. Central, it's at the core of Judaism. If a person, the way a person understands that, the the degree of the clarity that a person has in their belief that God did share with the world and share with the Jewish people, his instructions for the world, to the degree that a person has clarity on that, their entire life, and the trajectory of their life depends on that completely i can't tell you how many conversations i've had with people of all different topics you name it and ultimately we'll be discussing something about the torah's viewpoint and something either either in a written verse or at least a written verse and if a person believes that the that the torah came from god it's just a different conversation and a different level of commitment that you have to an idea. Cause if you don't have, it's just coming from yourself. It's not coming from a, an objective morality, an absolute morality, then things are whimsical and, 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 and it's different conversations. Instead of, of the question being, well, I'm trying to understand, I'm trying to make this idea practical in my life. A person is, is struggling with, is it even true? and, and it's just important to, for a person just to be in touch with that reality. And often a question a person has can really be, and I always say this, that there's really basically five Jewish questions. Any question about Judaism boils down to five things. And pretty much all, most of those are on the Sixth Parsha. One, is there a God? It's the first of the Ten Commandments. Two, Is that God still involved and cares about the world? Also in the sixth Parsha. Number three, did God tell us what the manual was for this world? In the Parsha. Do we still have that information? Here. And number five, well, she four really is, was there more to the Torah than the written? Meaning, was the oral law given at Mount Sinai? Yes. There was a tradition. And five is how to understand the rabbinical uh, commandments. So, again, oral law, our tradition was, is that at Mount Sinai, we were given a Torah, and Moshe was told over a a whole tradition of all the details. Even the Ten Commandments make no sense. There's no details. They're extremely vague. We can't fulfill them. It says, "Keep Shabbos. Watch the Shabbos. Guard the Shabbos. Honor the Shabbos." Why in the world is Shabbos? <laughs> it does, it doesn't say anything. It, what does it say? It says, "Remember the Shabbos." Doesn't tell you what it is. Right. Honor your parent. Don't kill. What's the definition of kill? What does it mean to be jealous? Right? All these things. So if a per it just, you know, I'm not, you know, it's, you know, a person may have to work through these things and research and think about it and discuss. But I I would I would almost put it to the test. If you have an issue with something in Judaism or in life, it it very likely, if you put it down to its lowest common denominator, it goes down to, to how. One understands what happened, and at least if it happened, the revelation from God, who's involved, who told us what he wants, and we have an oral tradition, which is from God, it's not man-made. And that really, that's everything. Really, everything boils down to that. Um, That boils down to how much your opinion matters, how much anyone's opinion matters, how much things are up for suggestion, if things can be changed um it just really you know and just helpful it's very helpful uh, to understand other people you know if 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 uh there was once a young man who decided to start keeping kosher his parents were not they didn't keep kosher and they were getting frustrated with their son they loved their son he was such a sensible guy and now he starts keeping kosher and he was getting frustrated because they want to They'd want to go out to a restaurant, and he would say, we got a kosher one. His mom would serve supper, and it wasn't kosher. And they knew a certain rabbi. His name was actually Rabbi Saperman. His son uh, was with me in yeshiva in Scranton in Providence. He lives in Toronto. A fantastic speaker. And um, the parents called the rabbi. They were, they were out. They were good parents. They were sincere. They were happy to let their child, you know, explore and go their way. But they... They felt their child was was not being w- willing to compromise. You know, this, this is something that's compromise. So they go to get they go to Rabbi Saberman without their son, and they say, Rabbi, can you explain? Our son wants to keep kosher, he has our blessing. But why can't he ever compromise? Why can't he say, Look, once in a while I'll do it your way, you do it my way. And Rabbi Saberman said to them, If God, if you believe that God told you to do something, then you can't compromise. It doesn't mean that God doesn't have a way to help deal with something, but something that you believe is absolutely true is really not a place for compromise. It doesn't mean I have to be mean to you, it doesn't mean I can't be respectful to you, but I won't do something. And if even if one one doesn't agree with that, or a person doesn't come to that, but a person appreciates that's where someone's coming from, or there is such an idea in our world today that concept is a very foreign concept that 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 there are people who believe there are absolute truths and, and, and truths that that are that come into country that they can't all be the same. There's the famous one-minute proof, not even one minute. That all that five of the major world religions can't all be true. Not one of them. If one's true, the other one's not. First question: Do you believe in a god? Monotheistic, right? Okay, so knock out Buddhism and Hinduism. Gone. Okay, so if you believe, then those two are false. If you say there isn't a god, then you knock out Christianity, Islam, and Judaism. Okay, how did God communicate his, his ideas to the to mankind? moses jesus well if you believe that jesus is able to override moses okay so judaism and christianity can't and if you believe Mo- moses is absolute then islam and and christianity is not as well so here you have five major religions we can like people we can be nice to them but you can't truly believe in one and believe in the other and that is it's a hard concept to wrap our heads around but it's okay it is okay to think and to even know that that's the same way you know your name is what your name is. Someone else, um, if someone else tells you potato we'll you tomorrow, you're not going to say them. Oh, the, the, well, that's your opinion. You know, you know your name is. It's okay, and this is what Judaism professes. So that so two more sure ideas, then we'll do a quick wrap up. It Says in verse chapter eighteen, verse seventeen that. Uh, Yisrael was coming and giving this advice to his son-in-law. And it says very sh- straight, speaking of being straight, he says, the father-in-law of Moses said to him the thing that you do is not good. No sugarcoat; It's not good. He's saying it with authority says of Yeruchim Levavitz. Levavitz passed away, I think in the 50s. Great uh, character development uh, leader. He said that Yisro, he had, and he calls it, the koach habikoris That means the, the strength of criticism. Now says Reb most people, when we think of someone who's critical, we don't think of it as a strength. We think of it as often a detriment, a weakness. We think of it as annoying. So when we say a strength, what does that mean? So what it means, says a that what's the core of this ability to critique? It's the idea of, of really a search for a truth, a concern for the truth, an unrelenting um, interest in searching and exploring. Now, who did Yisro do that with first? Himself. Until this point, he spent his whole life critiquing himself. He was leaders. He was a. Lead. He left countless leadership positions. He critiqued himself, and then. And only then when he shared his, 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 his attention to detail and pursuit of truth in a way that would, he felt would share with others. So the kalach habikores, the ability to criticize, the strength. When, when can one know if it's a strength? You can know if it's a strength if the biggest focus and force and attention of your ability to criticize is here if you see that that's the main focus of your criticism then you can be pretty confident and trust yourself that you really care about people and you really care about the truth and that your your comments will be appreciated because people understand that your most your fingers are here and people get that you're after the truth and and that's something which you have to pay attention and and again, sometimes we have to say to people, you want to make sure that the, we're at least, at least, and really much, 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 much more critiquing ourselves. That's we're really the only person we can somewhat change. And if you want to impact anyone else, people will look, is this the kind of person who ever critiques themselves? Is this the kind of person who ever will take criticism from anyone else? And that is what Rukim says, is we learn from Yisro. last thing I want to share I saw this show, one of my friends uh, books on the Parsha. All his books are great. So it says in verse 18, so Yeshua's explaining what the problem was. First he said it's not good. Then he says in verse 18, "You will. Sh- why is it not good? He says, Moshe, you will become worn out. You and the people with you. For it's too hard. You can't do it alone. Wow. That's a lot of caring, succinct message. It's not, it's not, it's not like you're bad. It's not like you're wrong. He says, this is, it's not good for you. You'll be worn out. And not only that, it's gonna first you, because we know people care most about themselves. And then it says, it's gonna hurt the other people. It's too hard. Not that you're wrong. It's too hard. You, you need you need other people to help you. So says Rabbi Friend. How does a person know? How does a person know if something is too hard? There's an idea of a person pushing themselves. So what are the words? Novol tibol says Yeshua. The way to know if you're spreading yourself too thin is if it's something that can last. If you're doing something and it's spreading you thin and it's going to stop and you won't be able to continue doing it, says, so yesho, it's got to be able to last. It's got to be able to last. This is something that they, they teach us in yeshiva and they teach everywhere. that something that's not going to last is not going to last. And you got to do things, even though you may seem wrong and you're still, it's too slow. Learn from here, and Hashem agreed that if something is is, is, is going to wear you out, it's not going to last, that's not the way to go. That's one understanding. But friend brings also from David Feinstein, who just passed away, as according the Racha, that Yisro had a different issue. Not so much, you know what, Moshe, Moshe was incredible. Moshe really could have handled it. And maybe even that generation was on such a a level that they could have handled this. But says of David Feinstein, it's not going to last for posterity. Leaders in the future are not going to be Moshe Rabbeinu. The Jewish people in the future are not going to be those people. And there's going to be a precedent which will not be able to be sustained. People aren't if the only leader to ever be was Moshe, there wasn't underlings and lower level, lower lower levels, then people wouldn't be able to have the respect and the confidence that we need to be able to have in quote unquote lower level leaders. All of us are leaders to some degree. And Yeshua said we can't set up the Jewish people that well, it's Moshe or Bust. Because yes, there are things we need Moshe being before. But there's a lot, a lot of wonderful things that we can learn from parents and friends and mentors and other people. And and that has to be, it's not practical, says David Feinstein. You're so saying this is not the the message. Judaism is not an ivory tower hierarchical religion. It's a a relationship that is accessible to everyone and everyone. And, And it's not something that, oh, if I have connections, right? Because, how you know you have someone like myself? I'm not high on, but I can access t- tremendous ideas and tremendous resources, and anyone could do that. Yes, maybe take a little time, a little know how, a little research, but very quickly, if a person puts their mind to it. I mean, someone uh, recently asked me, um, How do you get certain competency in Jewish law? Said, the first thing you got to do is put your mind to it that you want to do it. And then it's just a matter of doing a few things. So, quick review. First thing we learned that Yisro saw in Judaism, the beauty was that you, it, it's it's complete. You can you can have you can hone all the aspects of your life your relationships with people, spirituality, yourself, everything. We have that broad-based balance. We also learned from the Talmud explained that the leaders needed to be people of great kindness. Leaders is not just an academic. They have to be leaders in action as well. We learned from Mary Shapiro, he says that why was Yisroh merited to get his own parsha, his own portion of the Torah? Because when he gave criticism, it wasn't just criticism. He actually had something constructive to share. We learned from Simcha Zissel Ziv said that it's, it's proper manners to get back to someone, not to leave People uh, hanging. We saw from the Mechilta the idea that if we had that, having respect for some, for, for and, and and the safety that comes, protection that comes when a person fosters peace. And we also learned from the altar that the idea: that you have to respect respect everyone. Same way we even give respect towards furniture. We, 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 we reminded ourselves that the uh, core of world values and Jewish values is in the Parsha, how a person understands um, the revelation of Mount Sinai. We, we, Rabbi Levovitz told us that the strength of criticism needs to be mostly directed at ourselves. And when we direct it at ourselves in a healthy way, we'll then be able to share with other people as well. And we learned from a friend that uh, if something's going to spread us too thin, it's probably not a good idea. And from David Feinstein, that we're all, Torah is accessible to anyone. It's not up there in an ivory tower. And uh, that's a few of the lessons from this beautiful parsha. It's a short read, very short. You can read through it if you want in the stone chumash. Uh, Have a great Shabbos. Stay safe. And uh, thanks for coming on. Thank you, Good. Thank you. Good Shabbos, Miss to Sharon and. Thank you. Good to see you. Good Shabbos to Providence. Shabbos. Thank you, Rabbi Shabbos. Karp. You are. Mazel Tov! I hear.